Father, we give you all the glory. Lord, that timing was perfect. We need another one. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, Lord, we give you all the glory. And uh, we thank you that you don't get angry when we get distracted and laugh in church. Because you are the source of our joy. I thank you, God, that we get this time to seek you, to worship you, to continue worshiping you as we study your word. And I pray, Father, as we, we look at what becomes, you know, is the end of Solomon's life in 1 Kings, that you would help us to learn from his mistakes and to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we looked at God's second appearance to Solomon, uh, his great achievements, the, the visit of the Queen of Sheba. Um, we talked about Solomon's ridiculous wealth and Solomon's pretty much uncontrolled lust for everything, which is his downfall. And tonight, we're going to see that. So 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women. I think all you need is that statement. To realize pretty much everything that follows after is going to be a downhill slide. Not because there's something wrong with foreign women, um, but it's what happens as a result of all of these relationships. Uh, I get ahead of myself. As well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. I once did the math. I mean, it's a thousand women. He would, he would have to visit three of them a day, taking the Sabbath off, to even see all of them um, on a regular basis. I can't remember exactly what the time frame is. Yeah, I mean, but I'd like to see everyone every month, or I think is what it was, or... Or something like that. Yeah, but to, to see one of them every year. No, you're right. It, to see them once a year. He would have to visit three a day. Who in the world has that kind of energy? I mean, besides the fact that it destroyed him and the kingdom. But I'm just... It, there, there gets to a point where... It, it, don't you think, and I know, I'm just, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but don't you just think there's a point where you go, you know, I got 500 women to choose from. That's probably enough. Well, you know, let's up it to 600 just for good measure, right? Or we'll give him 730. So he's at two a day for an entire year, but that's not enough. I, I mean, there has to be a point where you step back and you look at something and you go, this is enough. Solomon couldn't do that. Verse 4, 
For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after, another, after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. Uh, and remember, Ashtoreth was a, a goddess, uh, or you know, not really, but they worshipped this false deity um, as part of nature and uh, uh, fertility, so also related to sex. Um, and, you, you know, we, we like to think, wouldn't we, that, well, people don't do that anymore, but does anybody know what happened in Crested Butte this weekend? Celebration of Vinatok. It's worship. It's earth worship. And they might think, oh, well, we don't have a religion. Yeah, you do. Just because you're not worshiping the one true God doesn't mean you're not worshiping. And it's just pure earth worship. That's essentially what Ashtoreth was. Um, after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites, and uh, down in verse 7, we have Molech, the abomination of, of the people of Ammon. Milcom and Molech are the same thing. Um, that was the, the metal god that they would set in a fire with its arms stretched out, um, and then they would burn children alive in its arms while they had an orgy around the fire, and this was their church service. Yeah, y'all welcome. We ain't do that. Because it's just, it, it's disgusting. That's why he calls it the abomination of these people. Verse 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, which is, um, oh goodness, it's escaped me and it's not in my notes. Well, if anybody want to look up who Chemosh was, um, he was not a real god. It was not real. And then in the hill east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. So he actually built this metal statue to sacrifice children. Solomon did that. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep to what the Lord had commanded. And therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Solomon loved many foreign women. No great story, or no, at least no story that had a good ending ever started like that. They turned his heart away from God to serve the abominations of the nations around them. Intermarrying with them was already disobedience to the law because God said, don't intermarry with them. But as we talked about last week, as he multiplied horses and multiplied chariots and multiplied gold and multiplied wives, all of this was forbidden by God for the king anyway. And so as a result, 
of Solomon's disobedience, the Lord's anger is kindled against him. And God says that he's going to tear the kingdom away from him. God promises not to do it during Solomon's lifetime for the sake of David and not to tear the entire kingdom away, but to give one tribe to Solomon's son, again, for the sake of David. For all his wisdom, for all his knowledge, and after his incredible experiences with God, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, 1 John 2, 15 through 17, have caused not only Solomon's downfall, but as we will see in the coming chapters, it spills over into all the downfall eventually of all of Israel. Now you have to imagine, because it's just it, it's it's mind-boggling. I mean, he, God appeared to him twice. First time, giving him everything he wanted. He didn't even ask for it. He asked for wisdom, right? You think the guy who prayed for wisdom, the guy who wrote for us good portion of the book of Proverbs, the guy who the Bible says there was nobody else like him, and that foreign dignitaries came just to hear his wisdom. And last week we looked at the Queen of Sheba, and, and it didn't matter what he talked about. If he talked about birds, if he talked about plants, it didn't matter what he talked about. He always had the answer. God gave him this amazing and supernatural knowledge. And then his lust and his pride was his utter undoing. Romans 12, 1 and 2 reminds us, and by the way, while I'm reading Romans 12, 1 and 2, you may want to uh, turn your fingers over to John chapter 17. Well, that would be silly. Turn the pages in your Bible with your fingers over to John 17, or how, or you can scroll there, or however it is you're looking at the word at the moment. Wow. And there I was, on a roll, not doing too bad. <laughs> Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This idea of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice is the idea of surrendering ourselves to God and not giving in to the lusts of our flesh. The idea of, of not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind is to take God's word in so that he, by his spirit, can renew our minds to stop thinking like the rest of the world. And there's a really good reason for that. And that's why I asked you to turn to John 17. We're going to pick up in verse 6. John 17 is a beautiful chapter. It's the only one of the Gospels that records this prayer, but it's a prayer that Jesus prays, um, well, really for all of us. Prays for himself, then he prays for his disciples, then he pr prays for all who would believe because of their testimony, and that includes us. But I really, I want to look at, starting verse 6. 
I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given to me, that they may be one as we are. While I was in, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that scripture might be fulfilled. That, of course, uh, speaks of Judas. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I love this prayer. It's beautiful, and it's really simple. He says, Father, everything you've given me, I gave to them. And every one of them that you've given to me, I have held on to them, except for Judas. And he asks his father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. That's back in verse 11. He doesn't say, take them out of the world so they never have trouble. He does say, separate them from the world by your truth. That's what verse 17 says. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I'm sending them into the world just like you sent me into the world. So set them apart. Make them different. But my favorite part is the keeping. My wife, whom I love dearly, is famous for her, her inability to keep a plant alive. And for her birthday in August, her boss gave her a really cool plant. I don't know what it's called, but it's, it's kind of green and it's kind of red. and I don't know what it's called. Um, I don't know much about plants. And uh, he was like, she, you actually told her, I'm going to kill it. Because <laughs> that's what she does. Um, and only by the green thumb of, of my other my daughter Hannah, my other daughter Hannah, I, the, I don't, um, has the plant remained alive now, going on on two months. Um, you, you got till uh, uh, what is it Tuesday? Tuesday's th- October third. It'll be two months that the plant has been kept alive. Um, and that's why I really like the word keep. Keep implies responsibility. Keep implies care. Keep implies provision. It just implies so many various things. 
And I often, when I'm praying for somebody and I don't know what to pray for them, I'll just ask God to keep them. Just keep them close to you. Keep them in your love. Keep them in your peace, whatever it might be. But just to keep them. And I think that's a good prayer to pray because that's what Jesus asked. And it kind of seems to be the story of history and even the story of the lives of individuals. When things are difficult, we seek the Lord. And then the Lord blesses us or blesses the nation. But then, when things get comfortable because of the blessing, well, then we stop seeking the Lord. And what happens when we stop seeking the Lord? Well, there's consequences. And those consequences come upon them. And, you know, we know that it's not the wrath of God, it's the loving correction of God. But still, sin has consequences. And what do we do? Well, then we seek God again. Oh, Lord, I got myself in a whole lot of trouble. And he's like, yeah, I know. And, oh, Lord, how am I going to get out of this? Well, you're going to have to go through it. But we see this. We see this among nations. We see it among individuals. We're going to see it with Israel over and over and over again through the rest of First Kings and then into Second Kings. Because what do they do? Well, the northern kingdom never had a good king, so they just they went downhill and stayed there. But the southern kingdom, bad king, bad king, good king, revival, things go well, that king dies, and everything goes back down the toilet. We saw the same thing in the book of Judges. There would be a good judge, people would follow the law of God, that judge would die, and 10, 15, 20 years, however long it was, then they were in a, a service to another nation because they'd been conquered. Then they would cry out to God and he'd raise up another judge. And just over and over again. There's a saying that you probably heard. Bad times make strong men. And women, if you are one. Uh, strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. And weak men make bad times. And, uh, you know, this it's not a gender issue. That's just the way the quote goes. Because <laughs> women are just as capable of doing good or messing things up. Seeking God makes us strong. When we are strong in the Lord, though things are not perfect, it will lead to blessing. And then that blessing doesn't mean we're rich or, or healthy. It just means that we recognize the work that God is doing in our life and, and, and we're excited about it, we're blessed by it, we, we are resting in his presence. And then, you know what, and sometimes it can be financial. I shared this with John earlier today. Um, for the last almost year, I've kind of been freaking out about my student loans. Um, don't ask me how much I owe. Uh, but I did finance four degrees. And... Uh, <laughs> Finally, the repayment has to come up in October. Uh, my first payment is due October 16th, and I've been praying, Lord, just I need, I, I either need a lot of money or I need something good to happen so that I don't have to pay a lot of money every month. And, um, and he listened. He always listens. He just answered in a way I wasn't expecting. Um, I didn't get a lot of money, by the way. But when I went in and applied for my income-driven repayment plan, I got a, an amount that we can pay monthly that I can afford, or we can afford. 
And I, I almost cried. I was like, Lord, thank you. Because I didn't know why I was worried about it. I know better. Um, but then he just, he just dealt with it. And the way he dealt with it, and the reason it's so cool, is because I didn't know I had the option that I got. I didn't know it was an option. Even though they sent me several emails about it, but I didn't want to look at them because I didn't want to deal with my student loans. What finally made me deal with my student loans is I got the first bill that I would get without the, without the payment plan, and it was going to be $2,000 due next month. I'm like, ha ha, I guess I better go figure this out. But God had already figured it out. He already went before me. But whatever the blessing is, if we let that blessing cause apathy, we will return to the bad times. Hopefully, if that happens, we will then seek God again. Um, But I'm going to make a suggestion for all of us. How about we just don't stop seeking God? In the bad times, let's worship him, let's study his word, let's pray, let's draw close to him, let's serve him. And in the great times, let's worship him, let's pray, let's study his word, serve That's why Matthew 6.33 says very plainly, and this is in a chapter that tells us not to worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 3. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. used to be a saying that floated around. I'm spending time here because I don't have much else after this. Uh, (laughs) Dead serious. But there was a saying that floated around that many of you have probably heard. That you should not be so heavenly minded that you can be no earthly good. Do you know Colossians 3 right here teaches us the exact opposite. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of the thing of God, uh, of the throne of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. What this is telling us is you cannot be any earthly good until you are very heavenly minded. Because until your focus is Christ, nothing else is going to work. Verse 14. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was a descendant of the king of Edom, which makes sense because he was an Edomite. For it happened when David was in Edom and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom. Yeah, Joab had issues. Um, Because for six months, Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom. Then Hadad fled to go to Egypt and... He and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him, Hadad was still a little child. Then they arose from Midian and came to Paran, and they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, a portion food for him, and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him as wife, the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister of Queen Tapanes. Then the sister of Tapanes bore him Genabath, his son, whom Tapanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. 
And Genabath was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go to your, my own country. And Pharaoh said to him, Why? Sorry, you know, what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? So he answered, Nothing, but do let me go anyway. And God raised up another adversary against him, Rezon, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his lord, Hadadezer, king of Zobah. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders when David killed those of Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. Back in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 4, right? Six chapters ago. We read this. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. That was Solomon's testimony that it was now time to build the temple. No war. No enemies. No adversaries. Nothing even evil happening. How quickly. Because of Solomon's sin and disobedience and turning his heart away from the Lord, where there was once peace, there is peace no more. And, and it's a sad, sad indictment. Thankfully, and I am very thankful for this, we can come to our gracious God and Savior who has invited us into his peace. Isaiah 57, 18 through 21. God is speaking of his children. He says, I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips, peace. Peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord. And I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. I have gotten, um, I, I don't do this regularly, but whenever I see one, I watch it just because it freaks me out. Um, little clips on the internet of huge ships in ridiculous storms. Anybody ever seen any of those? Right? I, I've seen one like with an aircraft carrier. I saw one with like uh, one of the shipping container ships. You know, and they're up in the place where they drive the boat. Wow. What's it called? No, the, you're in a boat, and the pilot, you know, the pilots, the captain's there. And the bridge. The bridge. That's where we're looking for. Right, so you're up in the bridge, and on some of these ships, the bridge might be 50, 60 feet above the deck. And I saw one with an aircraft carrier, and, and they, were, they were timing these waves because they knew they were coming. And all right, the next one's coming. It looks like it's 80 feet. I'm thinking, well, this is an aircraft carrier, Right. And you watch the bow of it go up to the point that you can't see the sea beyond it. And then you watch it tip over the other side. Now, because it's so heavy, it doesn't like, you know, flop or anything. It just kind of sinks through the other side of the wave. Um, and then you would hear, all right, next one's two miles out. 
But two miles, because the ship is moving forward and the wave is traveling towards them, takes 15, 20 seconds. And, and you're just sitting there watching this going, I, I, I can watch one or two waves and I have to turn it off. Not because it makes me seasick, but because I'm just freaking out. I have an issue with heights and I really have an issue with the idea of being caught in the middle of the ocean. And, and, and It's never going to happen. I live in Colorado. Uh, but, you know, I'm just saying. That is the troubled sea that's being spoken of. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, and there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. But for the one who knows Christ, Ephesians 2, 13 through 14, but now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. People look for it in so many places. Look at all the things Solomon tried. Uh, there's a song by uh, Sammy Hagar. Anybody remember Sammy Hagar? Right, Lead singer of Van Halen for a while. Uh, but before he was the lead singer of Van Halen, well, actually he was the lead singer of Montrose, and then he went... Um, uh, solo. But he did a song called There's Only One Way to Rock. Great song. But there's a line in that song that he says, um, there's a million ways to get high. A million ways I'm thinking of. I'm going to try them all at least once before I die. You know, I, I don't know Sammy Hagar's spiritual state. Sammy, if you're listening, you need Jesus. Um, he's probably not listening. But that's the attitude of the world. Right? If there's, if there's a thousand drugs to try and, and I can't find peace, I'll try it there. Or I'll try all the alcohol. Or I'll try the relationships. Or I'll try whatever. And there's only one place to actually find it. And that is in Jesus Christ. Verse 26. Then Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zereda, whose mother's name was Zeruah. How would you like to be Zeruah from Zereda? Um, she was a widow, also rebelled against the king. So now we have outside forces coming against Solomon and then now those from within his own kingdom. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now, so everybody from either Ephraim or Manasseh, those were the two tribes that made up the house of Joseph, this guy was in charge of. So he had a lot of power and influence, and clearly had the king's trust. Now it happened at the time when Jeroboam went out to Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ye ten tribes to you. But he, 
shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Now, we all know there's 12 tribes of Israel, right? But 10 plus 1 is only 11. He's either not counting the Levites, even though the Levites were spread without, throughout the country, and many of them, uh, there were many Levites in the northern kingdom, or he's not counting Judah, uh, being the house of David, that the one tribe he's going to give him is in addition to the house of David, which is Judah. It doesn't really matter which way you go, but just to explain, because we know there's 12 tribes, and you get 10 and he gets one, that doesn't add up. Uh, why? Verse 33, Because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shamash, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart desires. And you shall be king over Israel, then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you, and build for you an enduring house, as I built for David, and will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the day, or until the death of Solomon. So the prophet Ahijah shows up and says, hey, Jeroboam, you're going to get ten tribes of Israel. And this is why, because Solomon has been disobedient. Now, this isn't going to happen while Solomon's still alive. But once he dies, I'm going to give this one tribe to, to his son, and the rest of the kingdom is yours. And if you follow me, the way David did, I'm going to give you everything you want. You're going to reign over everything you want. I will be with you. I will build for you an enduring house as I build for David. I will give Israel to you. All you got to do is what Solomon has failed to do. And that's follow my ways. Which I always find interesting, that thought. Not, not following his ways. That, I mean, that is interesting too. But Solomon wasn't doing what he was supposed to. So God raised up somebody else. Now, Jeroboam doesn't do what he's supposed to either. <laughs> but he had the opportunity. He had the opportunity. Unfortunately, Jeroboam, he doesn't last like a week. As soon as he caves to ten tribes and establishes the northern kingdom, he abandons the Lord for idols because he's afraid to lose his power. He's afraid that if the children of Israel go down to the temple to worship, that their hearts will return to Rehoboam, to the house of David, and they will abandon him. So he creates two idols and says, These are your gods which took you out of Egypt. And you would think one of the Israelites would have gone, Uh-uh. It actually got to the point where God had to send a prophet from Judah up there to condemn him for this. We'll get to that later. But 
As soon as he had the power and was afraid to lose it, he abandons the Lord for his idols. But Jeroboam's story is forthcoming in, in the chapters we will study soon. Verse 41. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, all that he did, and his wisdom, are they not written in the books of the Acts of Solomon? And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Through Israel's long history, um, all the years in the land under the judges, all the years in the land under Saul, and on all the kings, the succession of kings that are going to come after this, 80 years, that's how long they were united. That's it. In, in, I'm trying to do the math in my head. You all know better than that. Uh, like 900 years or so from their exit to Egypt before um, their, their destruction. Only time, 80 years, 10%, give or take. I mean, my math might not be spot on, but it's a relatively short period of time that the, that the nation remained united. Uh, now, the Acts of Solomon. There's a book here called the Acts of Solomon. We don't have that book. We have other writings of Solomon, as you well know. Uh, we have Proverbs, we have the Song of Solomon, and we have Ecclesiastes. Uh, but for the Acts of Solomon, we don't have it. Now, when we get into the books of First and Second Chronicles, we will see additional details about Solomon's life that we don't have in First Kings because uh, First and Second Chronicles focus on Judah, focus on David or Solomon really after David, and then all the kings in Judah. And there's a really good reason for that. But um, so we'll get extra details. But still, there is at some point in time a book had been written called the Acts of Solomon that we no longer have. You want to know why we don't have it? Because we didn't need it. If we'd needed it, God would have made sure it was in here. But apparently we didn't need it, so we don't have it. Last week, we closed with two scriptures. And I want to revisit them. After all of this, all of his mistakes, all of his sin, his, all of the, the women and the lust, and, and all of that turning his heart away from God to the point where God tears the kingdom out of his hands, Solomon, near the end of his life, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. In the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, in the 13th verse, verse, that's what I said. Chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. He basically, he, did anybody read Ecclesiastes for their homework? <laughs> My wife's a suck up. I didn't even do it. <laughs> Good job, baby. If I had a gold star, I'd give you one. You go through that whole book, and essentially that whole book, he says, I tried everything. And in the end, it all let me down. So what's left? But fear God and keep his commandments. And we looked at the scripture in Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? 
Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? We have reason to believe, because of the book of Ecclesiastes, that Solomon repented of his sin. And therefore, upon his death, which we just read, um, well, he wouldn't have gone immediately into the presence of God until the resurrection of Jesus, but he would have gone to Abraham's bosom, a place of comfort, until Jesus' resurrection, when he would then be led into the presence of God. However, I think back to Samson. Samson, his pride and his lust wasted his potential. Now, it is generally agreed upon that when it comes to wealth, influence, power, land size, um, that Solomon at that time was the greatest king to live. And even after that, right, because there were other nations and empires that, that had a lot more land, um, he was still the wealthiest man to ever live. Ever. Right? We're, not, we're not just talking then. When, when you sit down and estimate the amount of money he had, he eclipses Bezos and Musk. And as great as he was, imagine what he could have been if he hadn't turned his heart from God. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The NLT of that same verse, Proverbs 4.23, says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. That word guard means to protect or maintain. How do we guard our hearts? Jesus talked in Luke 6 about how a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit and a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit, right? But it's out of the abundance of the heart that this comes. So how do we guard our hearts? I submit to you that we have to practice the spiritual disciplines. Be in the word. Feed your heart and soul with God's truth. Be in prayer, constantly communing with God, taking time to, to sit before him silently, taking time even to, to get away from the distractions of the world, just so you can spend time with Dad. Fast. You know, it doesn't always have to include food, but it's good when it does. And I know not everybody can do that, and that's okay, but... Um, it's okay to give things up for a time to get closer to him. And worship to keep your focus on him. And serve. Because that's what he did. And what he calls us to do. We can do all of this to limit the impact that distractions of the world will have on us. But I highly encourage all of us, we all need to continue growing we can't sit back. We always have to move forward. Because if we're not moving forward, we are going backwards. And that's how we guard our hearts. Two scriptures and we're done. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Colossians 1, 19 to 23. 
For it pleased the Father that in him, that speaking of Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Both of those verses tell us the same thing. Stay close to him. It's, it's too easy to wander away. So that is why we keep our hearts with all diligence. Like a good father and a great shepherd, he'll bring us back when we wander. He will. Um, but he might let us, you know, suffer a bit first. That's always, not always, but it can be part of the lesson. Let's pray. God, you are so gracious. I'm going to go back to the word keep, Father. I pray that you would keep us in you. That you would keep our hearts and our minds focused on you. I pray for our brothers and sisters who aren't here tonight. That you would keep them. I pray brothers and sisters that we don't even know that you would keep them sanctify us Lord so that we can be separate from the world so that we can rest in your keeping and so that you can be glorified as we follow you in Jesus name Amen